I'm Scott Trout, CEO of the domestic litigation firm Cordell & Cordell. We help men deal with the life changes triggered by divorce, such as child custody and property division, among many others. But life changes also occur after divorce. These changes can make parts of your existing court order irrelevant or harder to follow. If you feel a modification to your court orders might be necessary, talk to us at Cordell & Cordell. We're a partner men can count on. Contact CordellCordell.com, 1065 East Hillsdale Boulevard, Suite 310, Foster City, California, 94404. You are listening to The Bird Calls. For more breakdowns on the Pelicans, including interviews with coaches, journalists, and opposing experts, go to iTunes, search The Bird Calls, and subscribe today. What's up, Pels fans? The OGs are back! This is the Bird Calls Podcast, and we have put our power coins together, and we are forming Voltron with Ali Cosell and Kevin Berrios. First of all, what's up, Ali? Hey, Preston. Hello from up here in Cincinnati. Can't wait to get back to New Orleans, though. Yeah, we just had you uh, earlier with uh, Ben DeBose from Locked on Rockets, and man, it is so good to have you back. I don't know what it's been, like two weeks or something, but just with everything that's gone on, uh, just really good to hear your voice, really good to have the team back together. And uh, when are you planning on getting back to New Orleans? I'm hoping in about a week's time. I'm thinking sometime. Hi, this is Scott Trout, CEO of the domestic litigation firm Cordell & Cordell. There are many life changes that can happen after divorce that make it difficult or impossible to uphold requirements of your divorce decree. The orders issued in a divorce are based on the facts presented at that time, but the circumstances used in issuing those orders can obviously change. If you feel a modification to your court orders might be necessary, talk to us at Cordell & Cordell. Contact CordellCordell.com, 1065 East Hillsdale Boulevard, Suite 310, Foster City, California, 94404. In the middle of next week. Fingers crossed, man. If everything works out, it, it should be about then. Sounds good, man. And of course, we've got Kevin as well, uh, armed with his new microphone. How you doing, Kev? I'm doing well, man. How are you? I got up to work super early, so I'm very excited about that. That's nice. Is that a, a good thing or a bad thing? Oh, it was good. It was just extra. I was just kind of going to help out for somebody who couldn't work, so I just set up the bar and got out of there so the other bartender could make all his money. Always the nice guy, this Kevin Berrios. This feels right, you guys. Ollie's eyes are glistening in light of this 8-3 and three January we're enjoying. Uh, you can hear some of that earlier on the podcast that we posted this morning. Kevin's got a new microphone, as I said. We've got an incredible matchup coming up with the Rockets, nationally televised at the Smoothie King Center tomorrow night. Uh, and like I said, check out that preview that we posted earlier. It's, it's just a very exciting time to be a Pelican fan, finally. And Ali, the Pelican shooting has, has fallen off a cliff since the Nets matchup at the end of the month. The bench has been a disaster. Rajon Rondo has been attacked by seemingly everyone outside the Pelicans locker room. And yet the, here we are, the Pelicans are eight and three and they're five games over 500. How are they doing it? <laughs> I know, man. The biggest thing is Preston, they're winning the close games. And you know what? The defense has come alive this month. Uh, if you just look at January's stats alone, they're eighth. They've got a defensive rating of 103.9. That's worlds better than the like around the 108 mark they've been hovering around before this month. Um, and, you know, they're just doing the small things. And you've got a confident Drew Holiday that's, you know, attacking, um, providing big points down the stretch. And then when you've got Anthony Davis and DeMarcus Cousins already there, you know, that three-pronged attack has definitely helped where, you know, things in crunch time kind of slow down. Offenses have lulls. The Pelicans have not really ran into that problem. So everything's kind of clicking for them because they're coming together. Um, Yeah, as you mentioned, three-point shooting has really fallen off the cliff. I think they're bottom five for this month. But 
they've been shooting still and uh, scoring adequate amount of points everywhere else. So the offense hasn't completely grinded to a halt. And, and like I said, that defense, they really kicked it up a notch. And, you know, you can almost tell the effort level by all, all the players on the floor at all times is infinitely better. There's no more missed rotations as much. They're getting out to more shooters. You know, it's just a big cavalcade of stuff that's happening right now. And uh, it's looking good, huh? Eight and three. This is amazing. Yeah, it feels right. And Kevin, before we get to the Hornets, talk about uh, or just expand upon what uh, Ali was just saying about the effort level. This is something we've been killing the Pelicans for all year, missing rotations, just not having your head in the game uh, during. I'm thinking specifically about that that Mavericks um rotation when J.J. Barea was open for a three in the corner and, and Anthony Davis just kind of stood there absentmindedly. That's not happening anymore, Kevin. Obviously, last night in the in the second quarter, there was a bit of like ball watching, but for the most part, there's there's effort on the floor at all times. There's less bickering with the officials. We're seeing a team that has really bought in for 48 minutes this last couple of weeks. What What's changed? Yeah, um, I kind of already touched on what's, what's kind of different. And I, I I think the best example, Preston, we can point to about the effort level is that Boston Celtics game. Um, I, I watched that one end to end because I've missed some games here recently, but that one was special. Um, the effort, the diving on the floor, and sure, Anthony Davis turned into God that game. I mean, that was crazy. Some of the shots he hit, including uh, what was it, a variety of jumpers um, with a hand in his face. But overall, that effort level, Preston, where the guys are just hustling and they're coming up with a fifty-fifty balls. All year, it seems like Joel Myers is talking about got to come up with the 50-50 balls, and yet again, the Pelicans aren't. Uh, we kind of noticed it actually crop up against the Charlotte Hornets, where, as you noted on Twitter, and I did as well, uh, they were coming up with multiple shots on a possession, and Kaminsky was just incredible. He's getting to the free-throw line. He was out-rebounding seemingly the whole team. Um, but they got their act together, and that's what they've done. They, more times than not, they have come up and met uh, the challenge. And that's that's all you can say when they've needed to box out and grab a rebound they have when they've needed to make, knock down some free throws they have because uh, all these things at one time or another were kind of bugaboos like I know against one of the Memphis losses our team just simply couldn't make free throws and it came back to haunt them and other times as we've noted the effort so they're finally putting it together because they're always in every game it seems like they're never getting blown out or they've got the lead or they give it away you know it's always right there for the taking at the end but now. They're sealing the deals. Kevin, are you back with us? All right, we'll get that figured out. For now, it'll just be Ollie and me until we can hear Kevin. Kevin, chime in whenever you get the opportunity to. Uh, Ollie, let's go ahead and specifically talk about the Hornets. We we knew it was going to be a tough one. The Hornets are paced. Is that Kevin? Kevin, you can, can you hear us? All right. Uh, continuing on with what what we were saying, uh, we knew last night was going to be a tough matchup, Ollie. The Hornets are paced on offense by Mighty Mouse Kemba Walker, who's been subject of trade rumors as of late, in addition to a very tough defensive team led by Michael Kidd Gilchrist, Nicholas Batum, and Dwight Howard, who is quietly enjoying another terrific year. He, he beat us on the boards, as you just said, and he was playing his thousandth game last night, so congratulations to him. In addition, like you said, Frank Kaminsky on one possession got four opportunities that second chance points so he beat us pretty badly on the boards he got to the line an unfortunate 10 times which was a career high the Pelicans shot under 45 percent were out rebounded by 10 outdone in the paint by 14 and went to the line an incredible 31 times over their season average of 27 which is still first in the league how how did the Pelicans manage to win this one Ollie 
Well, this one, they, they just did enough, Preston. As you mentioned, they, they, they got to the free throw line, what was it, like 13 more times than the Pelicans. And uh, thankfully, they did not shoot the ball well. Kemba Walker really had an off game. He was getting kind of where he wanted to on the floor, but he was just simply missing his mid-range jumpers. So the Pelicans kind of dodged some bullets to honestly earn this win because their offense kind of fell in a small lull, too, in the second half. Uh, I think they totaled, what was it, 20 points in the third, 25 in the fourth. So under 50. Um, Anytime the Pelicans get under 50, that's a big danger zone for this team considering, you know, we can't often rely on the defense. But last night they stepped it up. Um, Dwight Howard, who had an effect early, was having finding difficulty scoring late. And then uh, the Hornets just simply couldn't make their outside shots. I mean, I remember Nicholas Batum having a couple drives or a couple shots. He couldn't find the mark. Um, And then, you know, Jeremy Lamb, same thing. And then really the rest of their roster is just not geared towards high scoring, um, a lot of shots from the perimeter, that type of uh, quick attack. So the Pelicans dodged a bullet in the fact that the Charlotte Hornets actually seemed to be even a little bit more off their game than usual because they were coming in kind of hot. They were 6-3, and three, playing really good ball, um, had beaten some good teams. But the Pelicans, I'm telling you, that defense, I can't remember a single breakdown over in the second half where the defense, you know, gave up multiple um, open looks. Sure, we gave up multiple possessions uh, because of that poor, poor defensive rebounding for a while. But overall, it was really smashing. And then Drew Holiday, I, I can't keep gushing about him. He scored six important points down the final, what was it, two and a half minutes of the game. Uh, and, and it's the way he scores, Preston. He doesn't settle. This guy gets to the rim, and he scores. And really, it's still amazing to me. We've got to keep talking about because hopefully somebody in the NBA office is going to listen to us. But when are they going to start putting him on the free throw line more? He gets in, the, in inside that paint so often. He's got shot attempts left and right. And we see him getting hacked, and he never gets rewarded for it. Um, props to him. And imagine, though, if the calls would go a little bit more his way. The Pelicans would be that much stronger. This big three is for real. Um, I know they all had a kind of an off game. Nope, nobody hit to 20 point mark, I believe, right? Nope, 19 was the highest mark uh, for the Pelicans. Yeah, so, and it, what was crazy is they finally had that balanced attack. Usually we've been complaining about the bench. And you know what? Getting eight from Miller, Cunningham looked crazy good. Every time he uh, got, got a shot, he looked confident in taking it. And he, I think he scored like nine or 10 points. I remember him grabbing a couple good rebounds, too. One offensive rebound was key. And then Jameer Nelson, your favorite guy, huh? He, he knocked down some shots. <laughs> sure, he still stepped on the line. But you know what, Preston? We're going to take those ones that go in the net regardless of whether it's a two or three at this point. I think Zach said it best. He said, when Nelson is knocking down those threes, I mean, you're just supposed to win. Kevin, are, are you back? Can you hear us? Um, I, think I had to switch to my phone. I think my internet's having some sort of problem today or something. But I'm here now using uh, my phone, so it should work out all right. Good. We're glad to have you. I want to talk about uh, one point in the second quarter. Uh, The lineup was Drew Holiday. I want to say it was Jameer Nelson, Dante Cunningham, Darius Miller, and DeMarcus Cousins. And it was really troubling offensively because you had four guys positioned around the three-point line. You had DeMarcus Cousins in the post. And all four guys touched the ball and moved it, touched it and moved it. Uh, There were no screens. There was nobody trying to penetrate. Uh, It got to the 10-second mark in the shot clock. The ball always found itself to DeMarcus Cousins, and then he was forced to try to create something on his own. Did you notice that, Kevin? And and what's what's making the offense so stagnant and everybody so reliant on DeMarcus Cousins and his creation? I I did notice that, and I I think maybe – I mean, we're kind of used to seeing them move a bit more than we saw in that game. I don't think that was necessarily, like, a trend. 
Um, although if it carries on next game, we should be worried. I think it just might be carryover from his incredible game he had the night before where everybody's like, okay, let's uh, – uh, not the night before, you know what I mean, the last game, where everybody's just like, okay, DeMarcus is going to make this work, going to make something happen. We're just going to sit back and watch, you know, coming off the heels of such a dynamic performance. So I think it was more of that than anything else um, because, you know, we've seen him move, we've seen him screen, we've seen him cut. So I wouldn't be – that concerned unless it starts to carry over to another game. All right, Ali, I'm going to ask you specifically about Etwan Moore, and it's because Kevin and I are such a big fan of his. Uh, we love his defense. We love his shooting. We love his shot creation. He's a great finisher. Love that running floater, but we haven't been seeing it in January, frankly. He's at 43% from the field, 34% from three-point range after shooting 58% in December. Uh, he looks timid out on the floor. What's wrong with Etwan Moore, Ali? I think he's honestly a little bit tired, Preston. Um, he's been asked to do a lot. And if if you notice in the games um, all season, he and Drew are racing around the entire perimeter for 35 minutes or more a game. So you got to think that's going to catch up, especially for a guy who's not used to starting, who's not used to those 30-minute type of roles um, in his career. So this is all uncharted territory for him. So I'm, I'm not shocked by anything that's happened to him. Um, I do, though, expect, Preston, we're going to see him find his second win because he is a professional athlete. Um, it's, it's kind of like a wall he's probably hit that he's just got to get past. So, fortunately, I mean, the Pelicans are winning. It's amazing how we're talking about all these negatives, right? The shooting, uh, some players not contributing, the bench being so iffy most nights, but they're winning. So, um, in regards to each one more, I'm not too worried about it. I think it would be great if you could get a couple more people in maybe even push him back to the bench. Let's say Solomon Hill comes back or Dell Demps makes a trade or two. I think it would be great to get each one more back in that familiar role of 20, 25 minutes where he would feel he can go ahead and give his 100% and not get tired. Um, I think you're absolutely right, Preston. This guy was constantly looking to um, either shoot that perimeter shot on the either kickouts or swinging the ball around the perimeter and or then drive. And he's just really not looked to do that as much. Um, he was averaging, seemed like three or four floaters a game there for a long time. I uh, haven't seen it. So you got to think it might be something about being a little bit more tired. Yeah, that's exactly the point I wanted to make, uh, Kevin. If that three-point shot isn't there, and you can see guys closing out on him a bit quicker than they were in previous months, if it's not there, I want to see him attack. I want to see more aggressiveness from him. Obviously, we're seeing a good bit of that from DeMarcus Cousins and Anthony Davis, as well as Drew Holiday, but we're seeing teams adjust. They're throwing, you know, double teams immediately over at Anthony Davis, and he's throwing out of it to DeMarcus Cousins. Sometimes we'll try to challenge it, but more often than not, he looks for somebody like Etwan Moore. Kevin, what's it going to take to get that aggressive Etwan Moore back? You know, I don't know. I mean, I I think, I mean, I agree a lot with what Ollie said. I mean, he's probably tired. He's always guarding a guy that's bigger than him, you know, that takes a lot of energy and he's running around. And even when he's on offense, he's, he's a guy that moves a lot and runs around a lot. So he's, he's constantly on the run and we're getting close to that, that, uh, you know, the all-star break where people start to wear down and, you know, we see him recharge after that break. So hopefully that, that happens, but um yeah, I mean, for me, like, I don't mind the, the dip in three-point shooting because I love when we when we start to attack the rim and play inside, not just the bigs, but everybody driving to the hoop. And I want to see Etwan get back to that because he is very good at finishing around the rim. You know, his floater game, his layup game, he's got all that. So, you know, I think 
one thing is, you know, we'd call some plays for him early on to get him energized and get him involved early. And, you know, you know, you start seeing the ball go in the basket, you start feeling better, your legs aren't as tired. So that could be one thing. But also, you know, like the lineup change that we constantly have been talking about for weeks, where if he's more guarding a smaller guy, he's not working as hard, he's not getting beat up by a, a bigger guy, um, that would also help. And, you know, if we start to get guys like, Tony Allen and Solomon Hill back soon. He doesn't have to play as many minutes as he was. he's playing as well, which will also help. So, I mean, I think, you know, it happens. Guys uh, hit a wall and they end up fighting through it and, and coming back. And he's just probably at that point in the season where he's a little bit exhausted. And we've been playing a lot of games, you know. Um, we have, you know, we, everything's compacted right before the all-star break. So you have a lot of games in a row. Um, so, you know, it's just wearing on him, and I, I think he'll be fine. Kevin, you talked a bit about hitting a wall, and sorry, Ali, I'm, I'm going to pass this over to Kevin because we heard you talk about Drew Holiday a bit earlier. You talk about hitting a wall, and Drew Holiday, after shooting 43% from three in December, is at 29%. However, he is shooting 57% from two-point range. Last month, he was close to 60%. He's getting better and better. This is something that he had trouble with late last season and early this season. The, the paint was very crowded with DeMarcus Cousins and Anthony Davis. We saw those two guys at the three-point line. That didn't really work. It was too much spacing, not enough guys uh, in the paint. But now we're, we're seeing Boogie in the post where we like him, and we're still seeing production from Drew Holiday from two-point range. He's so much more confident, so much more aggressive. Talk a bit about how confident he looks like with that that mid-range jumper that seems like it's almost automatic at this point, that finish. He's finding his way under the basket. Why has Drew Holiday gotten so much better so quickly from two-point range? Well, I just think uh, a couple of things. I mean, I think the whole myth of, like, spacing, it, you know, it's overhyped here. You know, everybody was saying, like, you know, how are you going to find spacing? Are these guys playing outside? I mean, most teams play with a big man near the basket like a big man near the basket. So I don't really see why that's ever an issue with some, with guards driving and scoring really uh, if we have DeMarcus down there. So I don't see how that would deter or, or limit Drew Holiday's ability to score at the basket or, you know, in two point mid range, whatever. Um, but another thing is just, you know, we've seen the change in his mentality where he's become aggressive and he's become confident and that helps but also going back to your point about how we didn't see it last year I mean I think he was playing off the ball next to um uh god why can't I think of his name right now Tim Frazier um and and you know so he he didn't have the ball in his hands now he has the ball in his hands a lot because I mean basically Rondo plays for about four or five minutes to start and then he's out and then Drew's your ball handler and he's good with the ball in his hands and uh, pull-ups are have always been one of the best parts of his game like he never used to be a good catch and shoot shooter but he was pretty good uh off the dribble and you're just seeing that now because he's got the ball in his hands more and he's, he's doing those things and then also you know previously he didn't have a lot of offensive firepower on the floor with him because of the injuries we've had because of the personnel that we've had in years before but now with anthony davis and the Marcus cousins on the floor and even guys like Etwan Moore and Darius Miller, who are reliable shooters, you know, he's not having uh, to fight through double teams and things like that as much as he used to. And attention's being drawn to those big men clearing up spots for him to, to find spots on the floor. So I think all those things combined, uh, you know, add to his 
you know, his confidence and his ability and his uh, uptick in, in a shooting percentage from the mid-range and near the rim. Ali, you talked about this briefly earlier, but I want to have a bigger conversation about it, and that is the third quarter. It's something Pelicans fans and Joel Myers can't harp on enough because the Pelicans have simply just been dreadful in the third quarter. I remember last night Joel Myers said, we're not going to call it the third quarter. We're just going to call it the second half because it's got such a stigma attached to it at this point. Uh, Like you said, 20 points on 35% shooting. Luckily, uh, the Hornets didn't do much better. They shot 39%, so the effort was able to minimize them on the defensive side of the floor. However, the Pelicans were 52% in the first quarter and shot really well from the first half, uh, scoring 56 points. What What is going on in this third quarter, Ollie? That's a million-dollar question, man. Um, I think it's a bunch of things. Personally, there's not one noticeable thing. Uh, f- first things first is they just don't match the effort of uh, opponents usually at a halftime. This has been a problem, not just this season. I've noticed it in the past. And this is usually a typical problem of uh, teams that are, you know, below average. Golden State Warriors, the Houston Rocks, any of those top-tier teams, you always see that they know that's when it's time to make their push, whether they're um, trailing or just uh, leading by a little bit. That's when, you know, good teams come out and put the hammer down, is in those third quarters, those opening minutes. I've noted it every time we face the Golden State Warriors this uh, season, all three times. They've come out of that locker room and just busted the Pelicans' ass. Um, it, it's just a mentality press, and that's part of it. The other thing is I think teams make, honestly, really good adjustments. They're going to key in, zero in on whoever's hot on the Pelican side, whether, say, the shooting's good. Then they'll maybe go to playing a little bit more one-on-one instead of trying to really double up on the big guys or vice versa. It all depends. But it seems like the Pelicans really just have issues also scoring. It's not just defensively. Uh, offensively, they just the ball movement kind of you know becomes a little stagnant at times. Uh, they can't get to the free throw line. Those open looks aren't there. So I think you have to give some credit to opponents and uh, just the way they make those adjustments at halftime. All those coaches. Um, as to anything else, it, it's honestly just a guess. Um, everybody wants to blame Rondo, but you know he plays uh, in his other quarters. Like in the opening quarters, he's actually been doing a lot better with the Pelicans, and the second quarter. When he has gotten time, they've been playing well. So why can't that unit come out in the third quarter? Um, it, like I said, just a million-dollar question. But we can't wait any longer because it is such a consistent problem. I think that's the biggest key here. It's continued to be such a goddamn thorn in the side of this Pelican squad that they've got to change something up, whether they have a different lineup at a halftime, whether you know Gentry's got even a shorter hook on whoever he thinks the problem is out on the floor who's giving the least amount of effort. Or maybe you just change the starting lineup overall. I don't know, but they've got to do something because it's not playoff caliber basketball. That was the biggest point I wanted to make about in my article was that winning teams don't have these lulls. You cannot afford to give opponents a quick 20 points in, say, two or three minute span, and then you don't score anything yourself. They've just got to figure out a way to put that put an end to that immediately. Kevin, I know you're not Alvin Gentry's biggest fan, but he did try something a little bit different in the third quarter. He he took out his usual offensive uh, first-minded lineup, and, and he put in some energy guys. We saw some minutes from DeAndre Liggins. Uh, Ian Clark got some early minutes. Jameer Nelson, Dante Cunningham. And when DeMarcus Cousins had to leave the game with, I'm trying to think, I think it was four fouls, uh, we saw some minutes from Omar Ashik. And even though the Pelicans unit wasn't producing points, They did a really good job, like I said, of minimizing the points caused by the Charlotte Hornets. Instead of thinking, like, let's keep pace with these two teams, as we often do, they thought, let's just try to minimize the damage before Anthony Davis and DeMarcus Cousins get back on the floor. Is 
Is that something you you think the Pelicans should should try going forward? Just thinking energy in the third quarter and just minimize the damage. I mean, I I don't think that's something that that can sustain. Just because I don't think those guys have enough firepower or or you know consistent consistency on defense, especially. Um, so I think you need to have more of your your guys on the court more often or we need to find some other guys that that are better to fill those roles because I mean look you're talking about Dante definitely had a good game against Charlotte but how many good games have we seen from Dante this year I could think of maybe like three total so you can't count on that coming every every game and then uh, Jameer has been terrible for two months and then he was pretty productive last night so it's not like um, you can count on that. It worked out last night, which was great. It was a bonus, but I just don't think that that is something that you can rely on. I mean, you don't want to see those guys out there um, that often together. And uh, I want to go back to Ollie's point about Rondo too, which is something we talked about how you said that he was playing well in the second quarters. Um, and I think, you know, limiting his time with the, with the, the starters and also having him play more with those guys that rely more on a, a playmaker, you know, you like having Ian Clark on the court with Rondo, who's better as a catch and shoot guy or being found um, on a cut where he doesn't have to create his own shot off the dribble. I think that's one of the other benefits of having Rondo play more with those guys than having him play with, you know, holiday, uh, Cousins and, and Davis together, you know, I think that's where you can see his impact um, better. And it would also work with these kind of, this kind of situation you're talking about, trying to keep a spark flow, trying to keep some offense going uh, when those guys are resting. Ali, let's let's continue talking about Rajon Rondo. We've talked about him briefly, but three times this uh, this year, this calendar year, I should say, he's been held to 15 minutes or less by Alvin Gentry, and he seems to be finding himself more and more off the court in second halves. However, I do think he's a valuable player. Uh, we have seen him at I don't I don't know eight points and eight assists and just over 20 minutes a game. He's he's shooting well from three point range, although he's sitting wide open in the in the corner right now at this point in time. But but he does have a spark that can ignite an offense and it's just about finding the right way to utilize him how do we do that Ollie I don't know Preston you were hoping that he would come in because this this was such a leaderless type of squad you know rudderless is a better word um before you know Boogie really cemented himself within this lineup uh AD and and Drew Holiday I feel are just not natural leaders simply because they're not outspoken they're not going to put you in that right spot or yell at you, get down on you for doing something wrong repeatedly. Stuff like that, that you really need out of good veteran leadership. So I thought Rajon Rondo would be able to step right in. Um, he was given an opportunity to go ahead and join the starters. He's got two immense talents. And then Drew Holiday, who's, you know, legitimate almost all-star himself. So he was given this world of opportunity, and he thought that perhaps he would seize it. And you're right, his numbers look good. Um, I bet you guys didn't know this. Guess who's the highest or the best three-point shooter this month? It's Rajon Rondo. So you Get can't complain here. about his stats, but it's it's just the effect the Pelicans on the Pelicans lineup when he's in there, especially with the starters. It's just been so I don't know sanguine. They're either really good or really bad, and they've mostly been more really bad. So I don't know what the solution is. Honestly, you don't want to risk um, benching him because let's face it, in the past he has not reacted well 
to any kind of um, any kind of discrepancies, whether with the coach or just not seeing eye to eye. Something can just, you know, one or two things can completely derail him, and therefore it could derail maybe this Pelican season. So it's a really, really tight, tightrope walk for Alvin Gentry. I'm not sure what the answer is, honestly. You would hope that he would get the message. Um, we've all commented before, and with them playing so well, um, that he would just bring the effort every night, that he would just do all the small things that he needs to do. And um, I don't know, Preston. I mean, it's looking more and more like I have to think that they're probably going to consider maybe benching him. Um, I don't know who would start in his place, maybe when Solomon Hill comes back or in the meantime, either Darius Miller or Ian Clark. But I just feel like that they can't continue down this path. Kevin, uh, a lot of people are calling for him to come off the bench, but uh, because of his defensive limitations, I just find it difficult to pair him alongside an Ian Clark or Jameer Nelson. You kind of need to handcuff him with Drew Holiday and at times Etwan Moore if he can play that two position. But Drew Holiday is just uh, such a better match for Rajon Rondo. Do you you have a a way to fix Rajon Rondo and find him uh, a point in the lineup where he can really be at his best and bring out the best of this Pelicans offense? Well, yeah, I mean, I I would never – play him with Jameer Nelson that's for sure um just because you just have two sort of sieves and at the, in the backcourt on defense but I mean I think um also I mean it's not like we rarely see especially with this Pelicans team like five bench players on the court at the same time so you're always going to have at least a starter in there um so I think you just stagger his minutes where you know he's in there with guys that that maximizes playmaking ability that depend on his playmaking ability. Um, and you just try to score outscore the opponent while Drew is, is out, you know, like, so you could have Rondo, Ian Clark and Darius Miller or Etwan Moore as, you know, on your wing with whatever you either, you know, Dante with AD or cousins or both of those guys playing together or whatever, um, where, where you have Rondo making plays for guys, getting them open looks, getting them uh, catch-and-shoot opportunities, getting them cut to the basket, um, those kind of things. And you just try to score as many points as you can. Because also, when you have Rondo in there, if he's coming off the bench, that means he's also going against bench units from the other team. So, it's you know, you're not going against their full-strength thing, which is, you know, one of the problems now is that when we start the games with him, you know, start the first and the third quarter, you know, it's starters versus starters. and then um, Eric, nobody's guarding Rondo, and you just have this extra man floating out there playing free safety, um, causing problems in, for your offense. Um, and, you know, I mean, like Ali said, he's the highest rated shooter this month, but I mean, we all know that's sort of like a, a joke of a stat because he's like wide open and his man's like stopping somebody else from scoring, and it's not like he's shooting 10 threes, you know, he's maybe, maybe two or three a game. Um, so, it, you know, I think there's ways to make it work. And, you know, I mean, he, he came off the bench for Chicago last year, right? I mean, he didn't, and he, he seemed to do fine in in that role and he was seemed to be happy in that role. So I don't think, um, I don't think it's that big of a deal for him at this point in his career. And it definitely what Ollie said about him is definitely true. His, what he brings in terms of like a coach on the court is very valuable. I mean, I sit close to the bench, so, I mean, I see him out there barking at everybody from the bench when he's out there. And then you can hear him when he's on the court. He's constantly talking, constantly getting people in position. So, you know, he's not a player. Like, 
some people say, you know, he's just a, a waste or whatever right now. He's definitely not that. I mean, he's a valuable part of this team. It's just that they need to figure out a way to maximize his minutes on the court and his impact that he can bring. And I think doing that where, where he's more of a facilitator for the second unit is, is the best case scenario. Now that's a great segue, Kevin. I'm going to throw this over to Ali. Rajon Rondo has not played more than 30 minutes in uh, two weeks, and that was just at the 31-minute threshold. He really hasn't gone well over 30 minutes uh, since December. Each one more is pretty much at his threshold. He's got 32, 42, 33, 22, 37, and 44 minutes in his last six matchups. After that, You've got Darius Miller's workload increasing exponentially. In the last four games, he's hit 30 minutes in each of them. And that double overtime one, he was at 40 minutes playing in both uh, overtime stanzas, the full five minutes. Ollie, is it time to put Darius in the starting lineup alongside Drew and Etwan? I would do it, yes. Um, I would take that chance, provided that Alvin Gentry feels like he has the support of the locker room. And by that, I mean Anthony Davis and DeMarcus Cousins. Kevin's right that Rajon Rondo took a benching or whatever you want to call happen up in Chicago kind of well. We don't know exactly how long it took for him to get his head on his shoulders and be that viable uh, option off the bench. But again, I think it all comes down to here on just how Alvin thinks, because let's face it, he's got to cater to the superstars. It's a superstars league. We saw what happened with uh, Coach Fisdale up in Memphis when Marcus all put his foot down when they had the discrepancy. So I'm not too worried about anything, Dave, but DeMarcus Cousins is the big one. He's on an expiring contract. He is the voice, the loudest voice in that locker room. And we know his relationship with Rondo. They're they're basically brothers. So I think, yeah, I mean, outside of that, Preston, I don't know. Um, Everything else seems easy, but he's just got to manage and and do what's right, what he feels is right, and how the players will react. Uh, That's just the easiest solution here. Um, other than that, there's really nothing else that needs to be said on topic. We know his play has not performed up to expectations as to where the team has enjoyed its success. So a, a, a change is inevitable. And I do believe that Darius Miller should be the one. I know some people are vouching for Ian Clark, but I just simply don't think he's ready for it. As to where even on some nights, as as a reserve off the bench, he kind of still doesn't look like he's got his legs. He's not. He can keep up with the competition. As to where Darius, he can. He can get his shot off against anybody. When he's got those wide-open looks – doesn't matter whether he's playing up against starters or reserves. So, yeah, I would like to see Darius. Plus, he would also give the Pelicans that size that they sorely need at the three spot to guard a lot of these opponents that have those bigger small fours. Um, Kevin's right. Each one more is just taking a pounding. And I should have made mention of that, too, just simply by the guys he's going up against every night. So, yeah, the Pelicans need to kind of flip things around more. And it's not just because of Rajon Rondo at all. I don't want people to get that idea that it's all on his fault or all on his shoulders, excuse me, that it is his fault. It's really the entire roster. Everybody that's out there is responsible for the way the team performs. So there's the four other guys, but that would be a good step for us. I would like to see Darius Miller maybe possibly given a shot until Solomon Hill gets back and he's, you know, able to go, uh, you know, let's say more than 20 minutes a game. Kevin, uh, that was a nice transition because Ali mentioned size being something the Pelicans are sorely lacking. We think because we have Anthony Davis and DeMarcus Cousins that they should just grab every available rebound. And yet the Pelicans are only 17th in the NBA in rebounding. And a large part of that is the Pelicans have a lot of small players outside of their big two. And they really don't have a big guy to come off the bench to spell them. Do you think Darius Miller being inserted into the lineup is is something that the Pelicans need to do to help that lineup, to help with rebounding, help 
keep people like Frank Kaminsky and Dwight Howard uh, off the boards? Or do you think that takes away another potential big guy from a bench unit that, that needs all the help they can get with size? Well, I think what's funny about that is that considering, like, if you look at Frank Kaminsky's numbers, he's not a good rebounder. He just rebounded well against us because we didn't rebound the ball. Um, I think, uh, you know, we have always talked about how Dante's not a good rebounder, how he's allergic to rebound. So we know that going in. I mean, I think definitely getting I've, – I've been beating the drum for Darius to be in the starting lineup, and I think he should be – I mean – First off, you know, what he gives you offensively, but now we're seeing him make also make plays, drive off that three-point line um, or in the paint, and he's been a good one-on-one defender. Um, so I think he's earned it. And then, you know, and all these things are going to start even and out. Once we get other players back, we're going to get Tony Allen back soon. We're going to get Solomon Hill back. And I'm not expecting them to play, you know, the, the minutes that uh, they've played in their career. So, coming into this year, but they're going to give us minutes and that's going to, you know, each one won't have to play as many minutes. Darius won't have to play as many minutes, but we'll have bodies in there that are effective. And that that's going to solve a lot of issues. Um, but yeah, I think we definitely want also one of the reasons is we, we, you know, lately we have been playing more in the paint, but when we are playing our big men outside of the paint, then, you know, you're not going to get offensive rebounds. And a lot of times also, Offensive rebounds are, you know, people are shooting threes a lot and they're like bouncing further out. So even if you're under the basket, you know, the rebounds sometimes go further out. So it's just been, uh, we need to focus more on on going after offensive rebounds because I don't think the transition defense uh, that we give away on that is worth the risk of what we get back on offense. Um, I just don't think that evens out. I think uh, with having Anthony Davis and DeMarcus Cousins that we should be crashing the boards. And then if you have a guy like Darius the size and then you have Drew at the point and and um, Etwan at the two, those are two guys that are also rebound pretty well from the as guards. I don't think Etwan uh, rebounds that well, you know, when you compare him to a three. But if he was a two, you would look at that and be like, okay, his numbers are not bad. And then also, obviously, Drew is a pretty good rebounder from – from the uh, backcourt. So you have those guys that should be able to get boards and, and make it up. It's just got to be a strong shift in focus. And I just don't think Gentry ever really bought into that idea of crashing off into boards. He mentioned that, you know, it's something that they would look at, but I've never heard him really totally commit to changing that philosophy. And then you don't see it on the court often. Um, So I think without making that shift, it's always going to be a problem even though we have those two bigs up there. And then, of course, you know, like personnel also, you know, when you're playing a two at the three or you bring it in Dante, who's never been a good rebounder in his career, um, as your third big, you're always going to have issues. Ali, very quickly, uh, we're almost at our hour threshold, but I just want to talk about how well the Pelicans have been closing out teams lately. And a lot of that starts with uh, the defense of Drew Holiday, who held Kemba, like we said, to 8 of 21. He crushed Victor Oladipo a few months ago. He's played great against Damian Lillard. The Bulls, he shut down Jerry and Grant and Zach Levine. Ish Smith, uh, a lesser known point guard, not somebody as highly regarded as some of the previous mentioned people, but he has been locking people down. In addition, DeMarcus Cousins had a great late saving block. And I guess my question to you, Ali, very quickly is how good can this defense become? And is there any way they can put this kind of effort level together for 48 minutes? 
I don't think the question should be trying to shoot for 48 minutes, Preston. I don't think any NBA team can be asked to perform at the effort levels that all of us fans are demanding. So to be realistic, we just want to see uh, beyond and above what we've seen, but it doesn't need to be for 48 minutes. Now that I've gotten that out of the way, yeah, it, it, this clutch time minutes have been amazing. The offense is closing out games strongly. Um, they've got a rating of like 120 or something like that during the final five minutes of these close games. And the defense is one of the best in the league. So, yeah, it's funny how that, you know, all season we were, we were just, you know, in such consternation talking about this defense, what the hell was wrong with it? Why can't, why couldn't it continue somewhat from last the year before? Cause most of the pieces honestly didn't change all that much, but uh, again, it looks like it was just all effort because when the game's on the line, these guys can do it. Um, so it would be nice. And I think that's the goal here is, is just to get this to kind of, you know, say coming out of the third quarter, wherever the problem areas have been, because starting off games now, the Pelicans have done a really good job, I feel like, coming out with the requisite intensity on both sides of the floor. Now it's just plugging up those trouble spots. You know, just just let's not have those lulls in the third quarter where it's such a sustained run by the opponents that just constantly destroy any kind of sizable leads that the Pelicans have built, and then they find themselves in such holes. Um, if they could just, you know, and again, I think this comes down to not only the players, but the coaching staff, and they've got to be able to better manage these players because they're getting run into the ground with these 40 minute, you know, averages this month that they're seeing, you know, DeMarcus Cousins, AD and, um, Drew. And then as we've talked about, Darius Mills has seen more minutes than he ever has. Um, same thing with each one more, uh, the, these small rotations. That's where I think Del Demps has got his work cut out for him. He's got limited assets, but he's got to find some help. Uh, we've seen enough of a sample size with the team that is in place and they are very good and they've got an elite core, but they're just going to have to find some more help. And one way, of course, is what we've been talking about, asking them to do more, bring more effort. But the other thing is, let's just hope that management can find a way to add a few more good bodies to this rotation. And the defense, uh, before we move on and talk more rotation stuff, has been holding opposing teams to 44% from the field and are 8-1 and one when they hold opponents under 100 points. Uh, by the way, DeMarcus Cousins got his ninth technical foul last night in the second quarter. Did want to mention that. Kevin, let's let's go ahead and talk rotations. Uh, we don't really need to talk about the Rockets in depth, although I will let you have a prediction later just because we did that this morning. Uh, uh, circling around on Twitter right now, of course, is that rumor that was spawned by ESPN about Damari Carroll potentially being in the Pelican sidelines. And of course, you it, it makes sense because his contract fits so perfectly against Alexis Jensen, Omar Ashik's numbers that are albatross type contracts right now, but coming next year at the trade deadline uh, might be advantageous for the Nets to hold on to because they can offload salary and potentially get something back for a team that needs cap space. Although at this point, it would probably take a first round pick from the Pelicans. What's your best route to to acquire some of that that depth that our bench desperately needs right now? Well, I mean, I don't mind that the Mari Carroll deal. It's not my favorite. Um, I think he's a fine player. Um, and if you're getting rid of, I think the Ashik contract is really the problem because Agenta becomes an expiring next year at around $5 million and it's not that big of a deal for somebody to carry that. Or they, that's even kind of a, a decent contract to be able to use to acquire another player if, when you add a pick, you know, next year or something for whoever acquires them. Um, so, Personally, I would rather use that Agenda contract to get a younger player that's more, uh, that's on a better contract that also is 
looks like more of a bigger piece of your future because I don't know how long Damari Carroll is going to sustain the level of play that he's playing right now. And, you know, he also is putting up good stats on a bad team. I mean, we've seen him play well before, but we've also seen him not, you know, struggle coming back from injury. And um, I like, you know, if you can, if you can turn Ashik's contract and Agenda's contract into a player that is not long, you know, on your books for that long, but is still a serviceable player and basically replaces all of Dante Cunningham's minutes, you know, that's a fine move. I don't mind that at all. But I would still prefer to go younger, you know. Um, I've, I've always wanted Rodney Hood, you know, and I think you could, because he is an expiring and he is, uh, you know, going to be a free agent next year, his value is a little bit diminished around the league, although I think people are interested in what he brings. And I think he's like a perfect fit for the Pelicans and what he brings because he can swing between the one and the three one, two, and three. Um, so he gives you good playmaking. He gives you good scoring. He gives you good defense and great length in the backcourt. Um, and when he's playing the two or the one. Um, so I really like that that guy and like his contract's so low, but you can use like a Gensis to even save further money because, you know, that's about, you're dropping about half of a Gensis salary off because Hood's only making them 2.4 million this year. Um, and I think he'd be a good long-term piece. I mean, he is inconsistent sometimes, but he's also always been asked to be the second scoring option or even the first scoring option sometimes in Utah, where here he would be, you know, the, the third or fourth scoring option behind A.B., Cousins, and, and Drew. So um, I think he could thrive in that role. I think he could be very much like a Clay Thompson for us with his size and his defense and his shooting and his playmaking ability. Um, so I think long-term he would be a great player. Other guys that I would look at is like, we know the Lakers want to get rid of Larry Nance. You know, they're trying to clear space. Anybody who has a contract that goes beyond this year that isn't a part of their big core because they're going to make a run at Paul George and LeBron James. Um, if you can, like, send over, you know, some, one of our expirings, again, he's, like, on a $1.5 million deal, and that's same for next year. So that's a great contract. Um, you know, you give up a first-round pick and send over, like, a Jameer or, or a Tony Allen, and then you have – a great reserve big man um, that would fit this team very well. Um, moves like that, I prefer. Um, but, you know, the benefit of getting rid of Ashik's contract is also very understandable because, you know, that's just that albatross that we can't get rid of. Um, but then again, when bringing in Damari Carroll, he's still going to be making was like 15, 16 million next year. And that puts you in a bind when you're trying to resign. Uh, um, Cousins as well. So having like a guy like Nance or, or Hood is also going to require a contract for next year. But, you know, I think you can uh, make those numbers work better than having that still having all that money tied up with uh, with Damari. But, um, you know, we'll see. I, I, I like any of those moves. I don't know if you guys have any moves in mind. Well, it seems like this is going to be a really difficult trade deadline. Uh, a lot of experts are saying they're expecting a lot less movement this year because teams are just so afraid to take on salary. Getting Even offloading somebody like Alexis Agenza and, I don't know, Czech Diallo for a Dwayne Dedman at this point probably costs a first-round pick just because the Hawks are so ad- adhorent to, to having another $5.5 million on their books next year. So is there? I guess my question is, is there any chance – that the help might already be on airline drive in the bodies of Solomon Hill, Alexis Agenza, Tony Allen, Frank Jackson, these guys, we don't know necessarily when we're getting their, 
them back. But there is a possibility that we'll get all four of them back. And we need a, a point guard, an athletic point guard who can create. That's Frank Jackson. We need an energetic defender. That's Tony Allen. We need a wing who can potentially like shut do- guys down like Paul George and Kawhi Leonard, or at least, uh, I don't know, slow them down. That's Solomon Hill. It seems like the guys we need might be in the building. Is Is patience a virtue at this point? Yes and no. <laughs> I know that's a mixed answer, but yeah, you're absolutely right that the Pelicans are obviously have to be very careful moving forward with the cap sheet. They've got a big one. They've got to resign DeMarcus Cousins in this summer, and they've already got, I think, roughly around $94 million on the books. So they're already hovering right at that, that uh, luxury tax line as it is. So they cannot add anything. And, and in fact, they've got to still somehow find a way to remove at least Omar Ashik, I think, or uh, Alexia Jensen, but preferably both, um, to get the help this roster needs. That said, I, I'm with you, Preston. I think that patience is a virtue. I do not want to see the Pelicans spend their first-round pick for a player that they cannot resign, that cannot be a part of the future. Um, the f- first-round pick's got to be able to not only do that, bring in talent that's you know serviceable for beyond uh, the rest of this season, but also they've got to remove an Alexia Jensen or Omar Sheik off the uh, book. So it's asking a lot, but there are a few players I would do it for. Um, I've already talked about Joe, jo- Joe Johnson, a favorite of mine out of Utah jazz, who's on an expiring and Justin holiday, drew holiday's brother in a uh, piece last week. But here's another name I want to start considering is Wesley Matthews. I heard just today that Mark Stein announced the Dallas Mavericks are interested in moving him, but it's going to cost a first round pick. But again, Wesley is a type of player that, you're not adding just to, <clears throat> excuse me, just for the rest of the season. He's a guy that could become a part of a core. Um, I unfortunately haven't seen enough of him to see if he's, you know, fully healed, fully back from his injury as to where uh, the Pelicans will get a lot out of his. I think he's making around 17 and 18 million, not only for this season, but next season. But if the Pelicans are going to spend uh, that first round pick, they've got to get somebody that is a game changer almost. Um, otherwise, they've got to hang on to it. I agree with you. And I do expect the Pelicans, and Del Demps always does this, Preston, every year, whether the uh, the trade market is strong or not. He seems to find those low, low-key type of deals, moves, where uh, it improves the Pelicans or it, it helps their talent level. In this case, they're obviously wanting to improve the uh, overall roster. And just like in 2014-15, when he added Quincy Pondexter and Norris Cole, I feel he's going to be able to make a deal like that where it's just going to be adding on as a third team um, and, and just not being a major part of the trade, but adding those, those kind of under the radar type of signings that could help this roster. And honestly, that's all we need. We need some live bodies that can contribute some minutes positively right away. Um, and I, I have confidence that he'll probably find a deal. If there's one to be made and they usually are, he'll find it. All right. It's time to wrap up, Kevin. We got Ollie's assessment of the Pelicans versus the Rockets on Friday. You guys can check that out again. It's with Ben DeBose of locked on Rockets. Uh, It's going to be a big one. It's going to be nationally televised. It's going to be in the Smoothie King Center. The New Orleans Saints season is over. We've got to hope the fans are going to come out and they're going to be rowdy in this one because this one would be, I don't know, a season-defining win if they can pull it out. What do you think happens tomorrow night, Kevin? You know, I was really close on my prediction on that Charlotte game. I was like, I think, a point off either way. Um, But I think with this Pelicans team, we see uh, that we play up and we play down to competition sometimes. So I, I think we're going to play hard, although we do have a history of shit in the bed on national TV. Um, but I think this one is more of a motivating one for them because of all the ex-Pelicans and Hornets players on that spot and the division rival. 
Um, so I, I think we're going to be good. I think it's going to be a high-scoring game. Um, you know, obviously, Houston has a great offense, and so so does uh, the Pelicans. So I, I think I – think, I'm going to go ahead and say we're going to upset them. I'm going to go ahead and say it's going to be like a – like a 120 to 118 uh, close spot, high octane game. Uh, and hopefully our bigs can live on the line. And that's going to be the key for us really is to get them in foul trouble and to have uh, Cousins and Davis shooting free throws all, all night. Um, you know, you have those, those floppers in the backcourt and uh, in Houston you have to worry about. So you, you have to wor- worry about um, Drew and, Drew and Etwan and uh, Rondo and all those guys getting in foul trouble too with those going against those guys. But um, hopefully we live at the line and, and we pull that one out. All right. Thank you so much to Ollie and Kevin. It's so good having you guys back. Again, if you want Ollie's prediction, you're not going to get it here. You have to go back this morning and download the podcast with Ben Dubose of Locked on Rockets. Uh, it's a great one. And tomorrow morning, by the way, I'll have a trade roundtable with experts from Cleveland, Orlando, and Dallas. Ali, we've got you back. We're so glad to have you back. Uh, talk about some of the stuff that you have on the site this week and plug what else you want the listeners to know about. Uh, thanks, man. Yeah, it's good to be back. It's good to be thinking about basketball again. Um, and, and as anybody knows, that goes through any kind of big crisis, family, emergency, you name it. Yeah, things get put on hold and things suddenly lose or you gain, gain better perspective of the most important things in your life. So it's just good to get back to, you know, what's a hobby. So yeah, well, I've already talked about the lineups and Rajon Rondo in particular. And um, upcoming, I want to focus on some of the good because let's face it, this team has been playing so well. We've we've got to hype them up a little bit more. And I want to focus on maybe uh, on at least one piece on either Demarcus Cousins or Drew Holiday, but hopefully both, and see what has been the turnaround, what is driving these guys, and how they've been uh, made the New Orleans Pelicans so successful. All right, Kevin. Anything for you to plug? Um, no, I mean, maybe I'll go through and do a little trade machine piece. I have a, I had like a little chart of a few trades that I thought about. Um, so maybe I'll try to knock that out later tonight and maybe get that up. Um, you know, those are always fun to speculate and mess around with. All right. Good stuff. You guys, I'm your host, Preston Ellis. If you haven't already subscribed to our pod today, get this morning's episode, get this one and get tonight's. You don't have to look at Twitter anymore. They'll just automatically appear on your phone like magic. Uh, and by the way, Thank you guys for listening. Let's keep this going. If we can manage to upset the Rockets, we'll be the first team to do so with a healthy James Harden, Chris Paul, and Clint Capella. It would be a fantastic victory for the city. And then an even more intriguing matchup with the Los Angeles Clippers coming on Sunday. This could be a really exciting month. So follow the Pels. Follow our site at thebirdrights.com. It's going to be a rocky ride through the end of the, of the year. And like I said on Twitter a couple of days ago, there is no more interesting team in the NBA to follow right now than these New Orleans Pelicans. So get excited, you guys. Let's go, Pels. You have been listening to The Bird Calls. Thank you for listening. If you like what you're hearing, do us one more favor. Go to iTunes, subscribe, and rate our podcast today. Let's say you just bought a house. Bad news is, you're one step closer to becoming your parents. You'll proudly mow the lawn. Ask if anybody noticed you mowed the lawn. Tell people to stay off the lawn. Compare it to your neighbor's lawn. And complain about having to mow the lawn again. Good news is, it's easy to bundle home and auto through Progressive and save on your car insurance. Which, of course, will go right into the lawn. 
Progressive Casualty Insurance Company, affiliates, and other insurers. Discount not available in all states or situations. Johnny got a toy golf set when he was three, and from that day on, he was hooked. All he wanted to do was golf, golf, golf. He'd be on the links before school, after school. All he ever wanted was to go pro. And then, one day, when he was holding his grandson and thinking about his 12 handicap, Johnny realized it just might not happen for him. But you know what did happen for him? He switched to Geico and saved a bunch of money on car insurance. So that was good, and so was hanging out with his grandson.